This is Wessler Media. The following is a production of Wessler Media, distributed on the Evergreen Podcast Network, and contains content that may not be suitable for all audiences. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. From Wessler Media, this is Profiles, a podcast about the people, places, ideas, and events that make Ohio. I'm your host, Vince Tornero. Welcome to part five of The Wrath of the Buzzard, our six-part series that documents the rise and fall of WMMS, the iconic Cleveland FM rock station that proved to be one of the most influential radio stations of all time. If you're just now jumping into the series, we suggest listening to the previous four episodes before playing this one. So right now, it's the late 1970s, As we learned in our previous episode, John Gorman and his buzzard nuclear army, through aggressive marketing and merchandising strategies, grew the station's popularity to epic proportions. But once you become number one, how do you stay number one? Also, what kind of good can WMMS do with their unprecedented power and influence? You're about to hear what it takes to stay number one, and the accomplishment that morning show host Jeff Kinsbach called the crowning achievement of the radio station. By 1978, we were ruling the world. Once we got out of the car and got to the station, it was like walking into a different world. You know, it was like walking into uh, something magical, something bigger than any of us individually. Everybody at that station was absolutely in love with the rock and roll music. You don't even know you're working. There's no place you'd rather be because you're doing exactly what you always wanted to do. From WMMS overnight guy Bill BLF Bash Freeman to morning show host Ed Flash Ferentz. Denny Sanders said it so perfectly. He says, we wanted to create a radio station that we would listen to. We always had the station on. We just ate, drank, slept, and thought about that radio station continuously. And uh, it was part of its success. That's Denny Sanders, personality at MMS from 71 to 86. For example, a typical Saturday night is uh, Murray would have a party up at his place. And, you know, we, you do what you do at a party. And, and then eventually we'd all cluster around couches and chairs and start talking about the station. We would hang out with each other on weekends. We would listen to each other's shows. Denny would say, hey, I like what you did in the morning. Uh, did you hear what Matt the Cat did today? Yeah, I'm going to listen to him tomorrow. Kid Leo's premiering an album, uh, world premiere exclusive. That was a big one that they always used to do. On a Saturday night or some Friday or Saturday night, I'd listen to BLF Bash. From morning, noon, and night, you had a bunch of different personalities, all with the same mission. That was the beauty of it. We just were obsessed with making not only the number one station in Cleveland, but a major player nationally. Music director and personality, Shelley Style. Every week, we submitted our playlists to R&R, which was the big industry, you know, newsletter. And nine times out of 10, the next week, you saw our playlist duplicated across the country. And the record companies waited on us hand and foot as a result of that. And I'm not talking about little local guys. I'm talking about the head of A&R for Atlantic Records paying visits to MMS because we had so much power in terms of breaking new music. If you could get it to break in Cleveland, you could probably get it to break across the country. Everybody had, you could almost say a different aura of music was coming out of them. What uh, Denny loved was not what uh, you would get from Matt the Cat, which was not what you'd get from Betty Corvin, was not what you'd get from Leo, and certainly not what you would get from me. Former WMMS personality Spaceman Scott talking to Kid Leo in 1998. What, what was the real format of MMS back then when you came in? It was the Kid Leo show, the Denny Sanders show, <laughs> the Matt the Cat show, literally. Uh, although there was a thread of continuity in our minds, what we wanted the station to sound like. 
We really were kind of like there's a phrase that they say in TV, a, a water cooler show, where people would gather around the water cooler at work or whatever you had, uh, wherever you were, and talk about uh, the shows. And they would, in MMS, uh, had that. Uh, that kind of uh, uh, charisma with people and uh, the, the people would talk about what we did. You know, each show was an artwork. They created a different show every day. That studio, and I don't know the count. I, I one time there were 30,000 albums in the studio, 30,000. Shelly Styles, she was the music director at the time. Every week, she managed to make sure that uh, every one of us disc jockeys got every new record that came out so we could, uh, you know, audition them and figure out what cuts we wanted to play. The art of it at that time, too, it was the segue. You had a, a Yes album and a Pink Floyd, and you just found a nice mix where something it would go on for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And it's almost like one album morphed into the next album. We wanted people not to be able to tell when one song ended and another began. You know, same beat, same tone, same everything. Going from one rec record to the next, you know, you're running around the studio going, I know what that is, I know what that is, that's perfect. You know, it's got the same beat, it's got this, it's got that. You grab it and, you know, within, Three seconds of dead air, you've got it on you've got it on the turntable. It was all instantaneous. It was all spontaneous, you know. Uh, if you're having such a good time, you say, hey, I want to hear that song right now. I bet these people want to hear it too. Most of the time it worked. When it didn't, you knew it and you never did that again. You know, there's one thing about a radio show, you're only as good as your last show. And if the last show sucked, or if there's anything that you didn't like about the last show, you sure as hell don't want to repeat that the next day. Every jock, every air personality had a special talent for coming up with the perfect segue. Denny was infamous for being the king of segues. Denny was the guru. Denny knew music better than anybody else at the radio station. He was just amazing. Um, put together incredible shows. Did great interviews. This is WMMS in Cleveland, and it is my pleasure to have Joey Ramone and Johnny Ramone of the Ramone. Yeah. Old friend Bob Seeger. Bob, how you doing? Just fine. Well, it's my pleasure to be speaking with Jermaine Jackson. Hi, Denny. Hi, Alice. How are you? Real good. First of all, it's nice to have you back in Cleveland. Oh, it, Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Oh, there is no doubt about that. The one and only Ozzy Osbourne. Hooray! Hey, hey Ozzy, <laughs> thanks for stepping up. Morning show host Jeff Kinsbach. Denny was really a, a very brilliant guy. And I think John was, um, was a very fortunate person in the sense that he had such a great staff. And uh, of course, you know, you had Kid Leo, me and Flash, Matt the Cat, Betty Corvin, and tremendous amount of very talented people there, David Helton. Uh, John was a creative guy too. And Denny Sanders was a major, major help to him. Here's John Gorman, operations manager from 71 to 86. Denny and I, we'd run everything by one another because Denny knew me the longest. We had a reference point back in Boston. Everything that we did, we discussed. And then when we decided on it, we'd, we'd run it by the staff. And it'd be sort of probably like uh, when a coach is meeting with a football team. You know, and, and so much of what we did was also in the hall. We had very few formal programming meetings. We had dozens of hallway meetings. And that's made the difference. Everybody had input, you know, and if we uh, wanted to put input to the sales or marketing department, uh, they listened to us, we listened to them. Everybody was on the same damn page. I think we had the largest staff of any radio station in America at one time. We had a promotion team, you know, we had a marketing team. We had a full-time air staff. We had a full-time part-time air staff. It was amazing to walk into a station in the morning and everybody's reading everybody else's mind. We're all thinking the same thing and everybody has their own expertise, whether it's being a personality on the air, whether it's being a production director, whether it's being promotion and marketing. Everybody had their expertise and everybody contributed to that station's success. Oh, these are microwave reflectors. We're gonna go microwave from the new building when we go in the Cleveland Plaza in uh, the beginning of the year, probably. 
giant barbecue grills. Coming to you live and direct from the new state-of-the-art studios of WMMS, high atop the Statler office tower in beautiful but dismally cloudy and wet downtown Cleveland. Originally, we were at 50th and Euclid. Then in 1978, we moved to the, the Statler office tower. And that was at Euclid and East 12th. It was an amazing station. When we got up to the Statler, the studios were beautiful. We were making money by then, and uh, they outfitted the station properly. Statler office building in those days was part hotel and part office building. It was originally a hotel. And uh, in those days, Cleveland wasn't a big hotel destination. So they decided to convert some of the floors to office, and the, one of them was where we were, up on the 12th floor. And um, not at our, uh, on our floor, but a few floors down, there was a fire in the building. The station got smoky. Everybody left the facility, except me. I stayed on, and I just opened the window. I said, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I got a show to do here. I figure, well, they'll put it out. It's on, you know, a few floors down. What the hell can happen here? I'm on air, and uh, the studio door opens, and this fire brigade guy comes in with a huge hat and boots and everything, and he says, "You get your goddamn ass out of here!" <laughs> I said, "Yes, sir." So I thought, "What do we do?" So I quickly grabbed an old Coffee Break concert that we had on a 10-inch tape reel, put it up, and I said, well, we have a special treat for you. We're going to repeat a Coffee Break concert. I mentioned nothing about the fire. And just put it on and left. And uh, went down on the street with everybody else. They did an all-clear. And we went back. And I went back up into the studio. And the tape was maybe a minute left. Okay, that's how close we got. And after it finished, I said, I hope you enjoyed that little treat we had, <laughs> a coffee break concert. One of the important keys to the success of the buzzer was the fact that the core air staff remained nearly unchanged for years. It was more like a family in, 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 in many ways. I, I know that sounds trite, but it's true. It's true. We were like a family. We had almost no change in the on-air lineup for 10 years. That almost never happens. I consider to this day, I had one of the greatest teams in the history of radio. We had Dia, Dia Stein doing the uh, weekends. All right, it's 1.20 right now, I'm Dia. And up next, we'll take a trip to Party Town with Glenn Fry. Dia, D-I-A, last name is Stein, S-T-E-I-N. And I came in, I think in 1980, I was a production and weekend air. I was mesmerized with the station long before I got there. When I got interested in radio in college, we all talked about different stations. And I mean, it goes to a story that's been told many times now, but I wrote Kid Leo a letter because he was the coolest. And then I met Kid Leo within a short amount of time and they offered me a job. Ruby Cheeks was there as well. Okay, I started out just doing weekends. When I came to Cleveland to work local promotion for an a Records, that's what brought me to Cleveland. I didn't come there for MMS specifically at that moment. Jeff and Flash in the morning. Hi, we're Jeff and Flash. Jeff and Flash used to order room service and then throw the plates out the window. It was, uh, it was always fun to just hear them launch shit out the window. Matt Midday, Matt the Cat. Hey, I heard that... Uh... If you have a piano in your house, it's a good idea to keep playing it. Otherwise, it goes out of tune quicker if you don't play it. It goes out of tune both ways, whether you play it or not. Oh, because my mom always told me that if I kept playing with it, it wouldn't work right or I would go blind Is or something. Is that right? Michael Shesky, former WMMS personality and author of Cleveland Radio Tales and Radio Days. He probably hosted, I think it should be a, a, certainly a record in Cleveland, he hosted more concerts than anyone in Cleveland radio because he used to do the Coffee Break concert. Big Country, that, that's the famous story. They came to do a coffee break for us. Uh, Scotland, I think they were from. I produced and directed the shows, and Matt, Matt the Cat, was the host of the show. So I would prepare everything for him, and then he would come over and do the show. As soon as Matt hit the elevator, we tore apart the main studio for maintenance. Just 
ripped it down. We, we, we took the main studio off the air and went into the auxiliary studios. This is WMMS in Cleveland, presenting the Coffee Break Concerts. And now here's your host, Matt the Cat. Thank you, Denny. Big Country comes out, and they're like a hard-drinking, you know, Irish band, I believe it was, or Scottish, and they came out. They switched over to uh, the Agora. Matt introduces uh, Big Country. These guys had been drinking all night, and they were in no condition. They were no in condition to stand up. You know, we're really hungover. We can't do anything. We're just, just too fucked up. Big Country did, I think, one song, and then all of a sudden announced on stage... I'm sorry, we can't carry on, and left the stage. This is live radio. And you hear Matt on the air saying, wait, what? That's it? What are you doing? And he said, okay, let's send this back to the studio. Now, there's no cell phones in those days, so it's not like I could reach into my pocket and call the station and say, hey, you know, go back. And they had no phone. The Agora didn't have a telephone downstairs. I had to go to the over to the office, way in the other side of the, the club, and try to call the station. Well... During the Coffee Break concert, that's when we would clean the main control board in the main studio. So we had all the board apart. And when I called and said, we have to go back, throw it back, they said, we can't. The board's in pieces. So we quickly, they quickly patched into the production studio. And I think we were, hey, we had five minutes of dead air or something like that. And that was it. And that was one of those funny things that happens when you're doing live radio. But uh, needless to say, Big Country was dropped from the playlist after that. <laughs> Kid Leo takes over next year. Big Country, right here in the rock and roll capital of the world. 222, Kid Leo here with you until 6 o'clock at 100.7 WMS, your music marathon station. There's only one Kid Leo, one of those... Cleveland Gems. Kid Leo here with you on WMMS. We're having a party together right here at 100.7. Leo is always the true north of the radio station. He was, I mean, he was like the leader of the pack. First of all, I do not want to thank Jeff and Flash for telling everybody it's my birthday and then making me look like a cross between Father Time and Methuselah. You know, he is unique. He's cool as hell. You know how you look at Keith Richards and you say, oh, Keith. You open up the dictionary, look at the word cool, and there's Keith Richards. I think Leo also defines cool. You know, there's a there's a swagger and a mystique and, you know, I just, I have, Leo is Leo. Cool as hell. Our general manager is now opening champagne in the studio. That is illegal by FCC regulations. I am not at fault. He just had a language. And, and if you were a listener day after day, you kind of got it and, and you expected it. And you wanted to know what Leo thought of something. And, and Kid Leo was going to tell you about the concert that was in town. And if Leo liked something, he was all in on it. Changes. And I hope he continues to go through them. Always interesting. Always great. Ten notches until five. I'm going to do jive until six. And then Mr. Denny Sanders. Me, six to ten. And good evening, everybody. It's me, Denny Sanders, all the way until 10 o'clock tonight here at MMS. I got a great night planned, and as soon as I get the show out of the way, we'll be all set. Denny was very much the soul of the radio station. You were with Denny all the time. If he said something, he talked about something. And as an insider, on you know, as a jock, Denny could do the mechanics of radio like, like no one else. Denny could talk up to a post the way nobody else could. He was really good at the at the mechanics of radio. Well, here comes a guy walking right towards me. He's got boxing trunks on. And uh, Hey, mister, what, would, what do you want here? Hey, I want you to play my brother's record, huh? Well, I don't know, pal. <laughs> he always did great segues. The kind of stuff where you know, you'd call him on the hotline and go, that was amazing. He was just always there for you if you needed him. Always there to explain something or walk you through it or why something worked or why it didn't work. He gave you a, a complete answer and a complete explanation. I remember the one thing that would drive me nuts is if a song would be in its like final decay and Denny would be talking to you and in your mind, you'd be like, oh, dear God, please cue up another record. Please cue up something. And and never miss, but you'd be like in a cold sweat thinking, please, cue. we can hold that thought, Denny, please go cue something up. 
but they don't get better than Danny. He's really a wonderful man. Summer had the cars, Kansas, Pat Benatar, Three Dog Night. If you're a fan of Three Dog Night, stay tuned to MMS. We have some very exciting news. Betty Corvin tended to. If you happen to be paging through that WMMS 15th anniversary Best Seats Concert Guide and you come across a picture of a, a really cute and innocent-looking young woman, that's not me, that's Dia. Mine's the one that says favorite food tamales next to it. Betty was there first, then Dia, then me. We were the rock and roll girls. There was a whole campaign about the rock and roll girls, and we owned it. <laughs> we were awesome. I would say dynamic duo, but there were three of us. <laughs> so the dynamic trio. And Bill Freeman overnight. Walking through the, river, uh, walking through the uh, ruins, that is there. <laughs> Hi, this is the uh, Cleveland Breakout Show and the world-renowned Bill F. Bash here. That's uh, split ends. And, uh, Bash, that, a style all to himself. The big Bill F. Bash hits you with a smashing sound. Probe your music marathon stage at 100.7 there on your knob. And a drill pack Bill F. Bash. And he had such a following. It's a different audience, certainly, than 2 to 6 in the afternoon. You know, people that are working the third shift. And they were so, so possessive of him. And it was wonderful. But he had a style that was so unique. That's a new one there from Kansas. And Rosalita, Bruce Springsteen, A Street Band, Lisa Price. I consider Bass probably one of the top three all-night people ever in radio. I mean, he, he was an incredible, incredible disc jockey, incredible personality. <laughs> maybe it's a, I wonder if it's the same Gretchen, because uh, she could have been trying to go to Kansas and maybe overshot it, because uh, I was supposed to meet uh, Gretchen in Kansas. We were both entered in the Sunflower Seed Spitting Contest. Len Goldberg, of course, was the voice of the station. Welcome to a solid gold Sunday morning on WMMS. Cleveland. John put me on the weekend shift and Boom was the one that was in the studio at the time training me in the studio. He was in there, basically held my hand from that first day on and forever I will be grateful and indebted to him. Boom was a lot of fun to work with. A lot of people thought he was a mean guy because he had this big beard and, you know, he was kind of a, you know, scruffly kind of guy. And But he was... He was fantastic to work with. He was. And when I was the production director, uh, Boom would uh, get off the air and I'd need him to voice some commercials and things. And after doing a four hour stint on the radio, Boom sometimes wasn't in the mood to do it. WMMS, Cleveland. Hey, that Cleveland, more like. No, WMMS. I say Cleveland. Cleveland. I've been saying Cleveland like that for 22 fucking years. That's a signature. So you had to kind of you know, use convincing ways to get him, uh, you know, into it. And, and it worked. It, it was really a lot of fun. I would give him plenty of room to move, give him something to eat, maybe a little something of this and that. And he was ready to go and do some commercials. And, uh, and we had a really good time together. Eventually, Betty left and Tom Resney came over. Here at 11 Front 11 TR with you here at WMMS. We've got to quite a night for you. Stick around. It's Thursday. We're just about ready to make the final turn on into that weekend. The all-request weekend. And uh, other than that, there really was a lot of changes. Most radio stations are like McDonald's. You have an air staff that just comes and goes every couple of months. Nobody stays there for a long time. But at MMS, they stayed. You would go somewhere. Nobody knew who you were because it's radio. And I would hear kids talk about I heard Leo say, or Matt the Cat was saying, they didn't say, I heard it on the radio, this guy was talking. They talked about Matt, and they talked about Denny and Kid Leo, like they were guys, part of their gang. That, and that was the magic of us, was that we, we, we were part of you. Good morning from the buzzer morning zoo. Get up with the morning zoo. Get up in the morning, get up in Cleveland with WMMS. 
Cleveland Radio's Giant, the number one radio station in the nation, WMMS, first teamed up with Jeff Kins back in Ed Flash Barron's as the morning duo back in 1976. The morning show was known and loved by everyone as the Jeff and Flash Show in 1977. The token joke of the morning, the most popular feature in the morning show began. That took off on gangbusters. Listeners began sending in their jokes. And if Jeff read it on the air, that lucky listener was awarded the Jeff and Flash t-shirt. Next came the blow-ups. Now it's time to blow something up where listeners get the chance to get off their chest and blow up something or someone that has made them so totally intense that the only relief they have is to blow it up. There's also great features like let's take a shower, the morning mind exercise, the mystery oldie, and just more fun than your heart can stand. Jeff and Flash love to take vacations. In fact, in 1977, Jeff and Flash went to Jamaica taking 250 elated listeners with them. The things that happened on that vacation would make your hair fall out. While in Jamaica, they totally trashed the hotel they were staying at. They threw TVs out of the windows, threw lounge chairs in the pools, and other harmless games of tomfoolery. No one was hurt, but they ended up getting kicked off the island of Jamaica and were told never to come back to Jamaica. As time went on, mornings became more and more important and eventually became the highest revenue generated, you know, on the radio station. By about 1980, we took over the number one slot. And that was like, wow, <laughs> this is cool. We're on. We finally got to number one. Now we have to hold on to it. In order to have a good product, a good house, a good building, you need a good foundation. And uh, that foundation was built in the 70s. MMS in the morning in the 70s, even the late 70s, and what it became in the mid 80s were quite different. Um, and there's various reasons for that. We added people. We had, my God, five voices at one time. It was Jeff and Flash, and then finally we had Kenny Clean. Now, if I gave up more love, it might leave me with none. But anyway, let's see just how much love this tune has as I lay it down. And Len Boom Boom Goldberg, he was the voice of the station. He had the booming voice. That's how he got it. He was kind of like the booth announcer, you know, but at the same time, he was also part of the show and he would always kind of sit back if we had a group going. But every once in a while, when there was a pause, Len would throw in a comment and it was usually absolutely hilarious. You know, I, I would always throw to him for the weather forecast because Len loved the weather and he loved knowing about the weather and what was going to happen with the weather. So you could always uh, throw it to Len, you know, with that voice of God. It's currently 40 degrees in Columbus, 35 in Youngstown, 36 in the Akron-Canton area, 37 at Hopkins Airport, and 39 degrees now downtown. Ruby Cheeks was part of that. Basically, the show was Jeff and Flash, and I guess you could say Boom and I were a supporting cast. But, you know, we all had our share of responsibility in making that show great. We probably peaked when Ruby was with us. Ruby was just a sassy girl, a lot of fun. It was the chemistry. And, you know, you can't force that. You can't make that happen. It just did. Just like you can't force a relationship. You can't force the chemistry in the studio. You throw people together and you pray and hope that it's going to fly. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it's the biggest bomb you ever want to know. I don't think you can explain it. Mr. Leonard came by. And Mr. Leonard was a great element, too. He did some crazy things. I'm Mr. Leonard. May I say, baby, I'm honored, I'm touched, uh, I'm aroused. Mr. Leonard was a, uh, a character. Basically, he was known as the assistant public service director and part-time editorialist. Assistant public service director, WMMS. Uncle Pabby, you probably ship to Siberia if you want. And he had this um, unique voice, kind of a high voice. And he was kind of what you would describe as a scam artist. Somebody who was always calling up saying why he was going to be late or why he was not going to be able to, you know, be in at work this morning. So so you're not coming in today. I can't come in today. I'm too disrupted. I couldn't do a bit of work in my condition. I'm downstairs at the Standard Tower. The guard won't let you up? No, there's the most security guy. Hey, don't you touch me. Don't you touch me, buddy. Jeff? What's going on? I need your help. Bring the baseball back. And he became this iconic character. I want to let you know I'm up and early this morning. I'm on my way to pick up Ed Clapton and Phil Collins. Oh, you are? Oh. No, that's right. Thought you were supposed to be in the studio. No, I'm in the limousine. I'm in the MMS limo, and I'm calling from the cellular phone. The I'm cellular phone. Cellular. Hold on just a second. Hold on. Hey, what are you drinking? 
Huh? What, what was that you were drinking? Just a little shand- just a little orange juice to get me going this morning, Jeff. Still lettered. No, I can't do that, my orange juice. You're not driving that limo, are you? Of course I am, Jeff. Oh, my God. You're driving, <laughs> drinking, and talking on the phone at the same time. I'm heading west, baby. Uh-huh. Okay, now listen. Now. He actually said that he owned a um, lime green Ford Pinot. And the station actually went out and got a lime green Ford Pino. So we took the car once and we parked it on the side of the inbound East Shoreway. And there was a big um, concert coming to town. I think it was a Bruce Springsteen concert. And we had parked it on the side of the Shoreway. And the funny part was Mr. Leonard calls up. Jeff, damn it, my car broke down. I had to walk all the way down the Shoreway to Liberty Boulevard to get a ride. And it was really funny because he goes, oh, you know what? I left my Bruce Springsteen tickets in the car. Fifteen minutes later, the Cleveland police call. Get that car off the freaking freeway. Traffic is stopped. People are going through it. There's a huge traffic jam. (laughs) It was was fun. Spanish-speaking lesson. Number 68. The asparagus has no bank account. The asparagus has no bank account. It became a full service show. We had news, traffic, weather, sports. We had Casey Coleman. The late Casey Coleman would call in at 7.05 every morning. We had trivia. We did all the other stuff that morning shows would do. We did some horrible things to Flash when he was doing the news. We've got Flash with the news headlines. Thank you, Cindy, and good morning. Whether the Argentine... Um, I, I would run the audio console, so I knew how I could switch his headphones to my microphone. Nobody would hear on the air what I was saying in his headphones while he was reading a story. And some of the most gruesome stories, you know, you'd get into his head... Several hundred Cleveland area truckers are going to lose their jobs when flash. You're going to laugh. No number of cancer victims. You think that's funny, don't you? the disease after he, he finally would just you know tr- pull those headphones off and and then I think John Gorman would call him and say you know why were you laughing during the news <laughs> and Flash was like well it, it I it was Jeff <laughs> you know we were all young and crazy what can I tell you. <laughs> If you're looking for the perfect Halloween costume, the Buzzard Morning Zoo Boutique has just what you're looking for. Why not try the Rick Case costume? Comes complete with polyester leisure suit, a tube of Brill Cream, brown shoes, scratch and sniff bicycle seat, and that irritating voice. Want a bicycle? We had a joke feature, which was a really interactive feature with listeners. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Token Jokes of the Morning. Remember, send us in a joke. If we read it on the air, we send you the Buzzard Morning Zoo T-shirt. Send us a joke. If we read it on the air, you get a T-shirt. We got tons of jokes. We always had great jokes. A joint scientific venture, an American and a Czech scientist were uh, sent into the wilderness to uh, do some research. Failing to return on schedule, a search party was sent out to find him. The uh, scientist's camp was found, but it was all torn up and destroyed. Uh, Continuing the search, the party came across uh, two of the biggest bears that they've ever seen. Obviously fearing the worst, the uh, leader of the search party decided they would uh, kill the two bears. First, the leader uh, he, uh, decided they were going to open up the big female bear. Sure enough, outrolled the American scientist. Oh, my God, he exclaimed. The check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> the token jokes of the morning. Big part of the morning. That was at 8.15, and the blow-ups were at 7.45. The Morning Zoo presents... Blow, blow something up. The views of this feature are those of our listeners and aired solely for their entertainment. Let me tell you how the blow-up started. Back in the 70s, there was an organized crime war going on. And every other weekend, a car was being blown up. <laughs> the, mob, the mob was involved. It was it was front-page news. And it was So we figured, why not? Let's start the blow-ups on MMS. It seems like every... 
every every morning in Cleveland, something's blowing up. Let's blow it up. So I came on the air one morning and I said, you know what? They're blowing up everything and anything around here. If you could blow something up, what would you blow up? And that started the blow-ups. You're on the air. What do you want to get rid of this morning? Yes, I'd like to blow up my mother. I would love to blow up my ex-fiancé. Hi, I'd like to blow up my real estate agent. I want to get rid of my supervisor. The blow-up's one of my favorites. One of my favorites. Basically, it was just, you know, getting rid of something that made you mad. Or, you know pissed you off. What do you want to blow up? I want to blow up last week. I want to blow up the thief that stole my car, man. My lousy, good-for-nothing, low-life, snake-in-the-grass husband. My overreactive, paranoid, lazy wife. It was cathartic. <laughs> you ready to push the button? Yeah, push the button. Okay. Yeah, I like to blow something up. I like to blow up an unmentionable radio personality. Uh-huh. This guy... Over the weekend, has placed a few bets with me, and he owes me about six hundred dollars. Yeah, uh, who's this, uh, Vinny? So all these little elements started happening. It was uh, monumental at that time. We did everything to the extreme. Everything had to be to the extreme because otherwise, how would we able to to sustain that that status that we did? That's what. Ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. People were glued to the station because you never knew what was going to happen. I heard you're having a contest. Yeah, toot your horn for Kenny G. You have a horn? Yeah, can I toot my horn for Kenny G? Sure, sure. sure. go right ahead. Hey, listen to this. Wow. wow, that guy's good. Hey, he is. That? Who is this? <laughs> uh, sorry, to be honest with you, this is Kenny G. Kenny Whoa! G. All right. Hey, what are you doing on the phone this morning? You know, we interacted with our audience really one-on-one, took a lot of phone calls, used the phone immensely. And, of course, we had so many different stories and so many different things that uh, our sense of humor keyed on. One day, I got a call. There was a slew of bank robberies. So I got a wire report that there was a bank robbery in Rexville. So found out the name of the bank. I went in the phone book and I called the bank. Bank robber answers. Well, I didn't know that at first. I said, who are you? He says, I'm robbing the bank. I go, really? <laughs> so I started talking. He said, who are you? I said, I'm Ed Flash Ferris. He said, oh, I listen to you. You listen to you guys. He's a fan, right? <laughs> I started having this conversation. He's got, yeah, I don't know, five, six, seven hostages. He really didn't want to do any any harm. He was just trying to get some attention. And he says, by the way, um, he wanted to know if he could hear a request. And I said, well, okay, I guess you could. Are you robbing a bank? And maybe if it's going to release the hostages? I said, "Are you? if I play your song, if we play your song, will you release the hostages? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But I got to hear the song. And it was Funeral for a Friend. Elton John. I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to (laughs) go. This is not going to turn out well. At that time, finally, I got the line was cut off and um, he eventually gave up. It all worked out well, but the FBI wasn't too happy with me. Just one of those crazy days. (laughs) Well, we had a lot of guests and on occasion I would get Ray Manzarek of the Doors he would come through town and I would get him on the show, which was really fantastic. He was great. One morning I had a keyboard set up and I had it right in front of his microphone. He comes in, he goes, I'm not playing the keyboards. I'm not going to play any door songs. So anyway, he sits down, we get into this great conversation and uh, we're talking about the band and he would tell us all this stuff about Jim Morrison and everything. It was just really hilarious. And I said to him, I said, um, Ray, I said, you constructed so many great songs. How did you build these songs? And he goes, all right. And he starts playing 
how he built Light My Fire and how he needed an intro for it and just shared all this with us on the air live. It was fantastic. Well, we're taking phone calls and I get a phone call and uh, somebody says, um, hey, uh, Richard Dreyfus is in town and wants to come up and be on the show. Turns out Richard Dreyfus had gotten in a limo to go over to Channel 5 for his interview and the limo driver had us on MMS. Dreyfus hears Ray Manzarek, hears me and Flash, and he goes, take me to that radio station. And sure enough, Richard Dreyfus comes in. Probably one of the most memorable shows was uh, Sam Kinison and Dick Celeste was the governor of the state of Ohio. Well, he didn't know who Sam Kinison was. And so we sat up next to Sam Kinison. Governor, I want to introduce you to a close, warm, personal friend of the Buzzer Morning Zoo and probably the hottest comedian in the entire world right now, Sam Kinison. Uh, how are you, Governor? I'm fine. I've come to uh, I've come here to, to stand by you and get behind you. Well, we're glad you're here in Cleveland, and we're glad you're going to have a great time. you got a lot of fans here. Starting uh, right here at the this, with this Buzzer Morning Zoo crew day. Oh, yeah. These guys are my men. We came in here... Uh, about a year ago, when things started to rock and roll for me, and uh, yeah. they were nice enough to open the studio and put me on the air. A lot of a lot of stations are kind of afraid to do that. <laughs> they think I can't I skate why. up to the edge and right. stop. But uh, hey, hey listen, they're willing to put me on the air. Why should they put you? Oh on the air? man, that's <laughs> <laughs> the team today. I'll tell you, this is a real duo. <laughs> the governor of the beast today on the zoo. <laughs> governor Dick Celeste was on the show, and uh, Sam was just hilarious. I mean, Sam was just. Uh, just having a grand old time, and Mr. Leonard calls. Let me talk to Jeff Kisbrock. Yeah, I'm here. What do you want? I'm downstairs in the matter dinner dog, and I ain't moving until Leonard Park in my parking space moves on. Don't do that to Mr. Leonard. Someone's in your parking space? Someone took my parking spot down here on East 12th Street. That SOB, whoever it is, well, I fixed his ass. Mr. Leonard, I got to tell you something. I hope you didn't do anything. I slashed those tires. I'm up here and I said run. I got out my pinball hammer from the truck and I did a job on his truck. Mr. Leonard. And Dick Celeste was great. He, he pauses and goes, it's Governor Dick Celeste. That's my car. Oh, hi, Dick. <laughs> hi, Mr. Leonard. Um, Was that your parking place we used? Huh? We just saw that little cardboard sign. Uh, was that your parking place we used? Oh, you know, you can park there any time, Gov. So those are the kind of mornings that, you know, you just die to have because they were so much fun, you know? There were times that I would stop and, and say, my God, you know, the planets are totally aligned. You know, it, it was just, it, it was almost like you couldn't dream it any better. To tell you what happened here, it's just grew into something that we never really dreamed of. But it all started with a good foundation, camaraderie, having a, you know, a great time with each other. It was just a lot of fun. And as, as people have fun, there was a little bit of mischief. We made it a party atmosphere. Flash and I, you know, were like uh, the kings of the parties. You know, we would do uh, nightclubs. We owned nightclubs. We had some uh, owners of uh, establishments that said, hey, let's do Jeff and Flash's Noisemakers, Jeff and Flash's Monopolies. So here our name is in print. I mean, it's you had print. We were doing TV appearances. We um, made a lot of nightclub appearances. We did toga parties. We did any kind of a theme that you could imagine in a nightclub. We were known as the Party Kings. However, we had to get up at four in the morning. We knew that, you know, we had to pace ourselves. We had to discipline ourselves. And we did. We had a certain image that um, people thought of us as. But at the same time, when the smoke cleared, we were responsible for revenue and ratings and, and everybody understood that. So we had a good responsibility to, to perform and to continue to perform. And you didn't want to get fired. You didn't want your ratings to drop and you wanted to always be prepared. And you can't be high. You can't have an alcohol problem. You can't have a drug problem and be successful at that. And especially for that amount of time. But it was just really great radio. It, it was just a blast. We had so much fun. We gave it the best we had. We were all there for a purpose. We were all there at the right time. We were all there with the same goal. We were all there for the love of the city. We were all there for the love of the product. We were all there for the love of the buzzard. We had this magic that like I said, will never be replicated ever. 
In fact, one of the one of the IDs of WMMS at the time was often imitated, never duplicated. And that pretty much sums it up. Never duplicated. A special buzzard salute to you. Well, thank you so much. No, 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 not you. you. The audience, the greatest radio audience in the world. I'm Ed Flash Ferens. And I'm Ruby Cheeks. On behalf of Len Boom Boom Goldberg, I'm Mr. Lenny. And I'm Jeff Kinsbach. Keep it locked on 100.7 every Monday through Friday from 5.30 until 10 on the MMS Buzzard Morning Zoo. It's not hard to become number one. It's hard to stay number one. Because once you become number one, everybody shoots at you, you know? We had competition in town. MMS wasn't the only station in town. So, I mean, we really had to be at the top of our craft. We had to make everything that we do more important than any, anybody else. We were the BNA, the Buzzard Nuclear Army. It was take no prisoners. We were not going to let anybody knock us off. And a lot of that had to do with John. Denny was the professor. He was the music guy. But John was the, the programming mind of that station. All of the ideas generally started in John Gorman's office where we would all gather. And one by one, if, when Matt came off his shift and before Denny went on his, just everybody migrated to John's office. And that's where ideas would start. And from there, we all piled into the production room. And sometimes they were brilliant. And sometimes they weren't. Most times they were. He was the guerrilla warfare. He was, you know, he was the one that fired us up on all cylinders. You know, uh, if we had a, a so-called enemy in the market, we had to go get him out. We had to take him out. All memos went out to the BNA from G-Man <laughs> and, and uh, it dictated what our what our mission was. You know, you got to rally the troops. You got to get them going. And we did it. We did it. We executed. We were going to do whatever it takes. Here we are at the Buzzard Morning Zoo. Yes, Cleveland's only radio program that's promoted by all the other radio stations. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Really, you're right doing on. a great job keeping oh, us number one. 16, number one. 16 going on 20. I remember, you know, memos, Leo putting out Sweet 16, Sweet 16. We were going for a 16 share in the marketplace, which was unprecedented anywhere on the planet as far as a, a rock station goes. You know, the goal that we had was to own that city. That was our goal. That was our mission. We didn't play. We didn't play games. We were serious. We That city was ours, and no one was going to take it from us. We're warriors. You know, we're the Buzzard Nuclear Army. The Buzzard Rock Battalion. WMMS. Cleveland. You listen to a Monday, because otherwise we'll send uh, Mr. Leonard over there to look through your window. The school that I went to, you know, my management school, was listening to the radio from the time that I was eight years old. And I remember when the Beatles first broke. And from 1964 on, the big competition was who got the Beatles first. And the best point was uh, stationed in 1967, uh, WRKO in Boston, they got the Sgt. Pepper album five days before anybody else. And they premiered it on a Friday night. Everybody was glued to the station. They played one track an hour from the Beatles. You didn't know what part of the hour, so you just put that station on and left it on. And I saw how important exclusives were because that automatically was the station that everybody listened to. If we get those albums before M105, before WGCL, before anybody else, that's bragging power, and everybody's going to be listening to us. Sometimes the bands would leak us the albums. Other times we knew other people that knew how to get those albums to us. For the ones that wouldn't budge, we broke the rules. WRS is becoming a very important station. A record guy wants to have a meeting with you, and they want to play you a new product. They're hoping you're going to play it. They come in, and they say, here's the band we really like. And I also say, look, I just don't want to hear the new band. I want to hear the new Rolling Stones, George Harrison, Genesis, whatever. So, you know, I've got a test pressing. I've got the new single on, but you can't have it. I, I, I can play it for you, but you can't have it. Okay. I... Then I went to Frank Foti, who was our chief engineer, and I said, Frank, I, can you 
take my turntable in my office and wire it so I can like flick a switch and it'll start a tape machine in another room. We ran wires from my office into the production room. And so this record guy would be coming in. I'd let our production director know, get ready, <laughs> you know. And it was automatically set up. So when I clicked that switch, it started the tape machine. The needle goes on. It's recording in the other room. This is going on. It, it's, it's too easy. And then the record guys started getting wise. He must be taping this somewhere. And they started coming in in tandem. Well, when I felt that they were getting suspicious, when they started doing the two-in-one, we then rewired it to a tape machine on still another room. While one is playing me something, the other one, you know, is talking to Leo, but then looks in the production room. They'd look and say, well, he doesn't have any tape machines going. You know, when I'm playing this, you know, there's no tape machine in his office that's going. And it was like... How in the world did they get that? We usually like would do an exclusive on Friday night. All the record companies are closed. So they'd cease and desist to sending a telegram, but I'm not going to get it till Monday. And this, this was one thing that Carl Hirsch and Milton Maltz played along with too. If I was handed a cease and desist, only I was allowed to take it off. If they gave it to Carl Hirsch, they gave it to Kid Leo, they gave it to Denny Sanders, they gave it to Milton Maltz. Well, the rule is only, only I can do it. So I made myself invisible every weekend. And I won't answer my phone all weekend. People go looking for me. They can't find me. I go to the back door of my house. You know, I do all those things so that I couldn't be found. I, I, sometimes I just go out of town. Every other radio station in town is saying, how did MMS get this first? WMMS from Cleveland. That's brand new for Genesis. It's called Mama, and we'll be playing it again through the night, right here exclusively at MMS. While they repeatedly broke ground with new music and fresh ideas, WMMS was about to start the process to break literal ground on what would become the crown jewel of this station's legacy. Cleveland was known for having these grandiose ideas, whether it's a bridge from Cleveland to Canada, skyscrapers that are going to be built, and all these grandiose ideas about how we're going to bring Cleveland back from the dead. There was a person by the name of Eddie Spiesel who had an ad agency, and Eddie Spiesel moved his agency to, to San Francisco. Out of the blue one day, I get this phone call from uh, Eddie Spiesel. And he starts explaining uh, that, you know, Bill Graham had made this major announcement. He's going to bring this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to San Francisco. And the reason for it is that's where the San Francisco sound, Jefferson Airplane, Grateful Dead, all, Moby Grape, all that came out, Steve Miller. And he starts saying, you know, Cleveland started, Cleveland had Alan Freed, Cleveland had Bill Randall, Cleveland had Rock and Roll. I grew up, the first time I heard Elvis Presley, the first time when nobody else heard of him, Bill Randall was playing him. You know, Alan Freed was playing all the black music that nobody, the white stations wouldn't play. And it's all this rock and roll. It's that Cleveland deserves the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You guys do something. We'll get back to you. We'll think of something. It's one person we can talk to, and it's Ahmed Erdogan. You know, Ahmed Erdogan was the president of, of Atlantic, and he, I mean, if you look at the history of Atlantic Records, they did more for rock and roll than any other label. He probably knows us as well as we know him, but nonetheless, we just can't call him up and say, hey, Amit, we need a favor. But Amit's assistant was a, a guy by the name of Tunch Aram. And Tunch Aram absolutely loved coming to Cleveland because Cleveland broke so many acts on Atlantic Records. And Tunch is the guy that you never hear about, but Tunch is the guy that does all the work, you know, for, for Amit. We can call Tunch. So we call him up, explain the story. And he says, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Let me talk to Ahmed. 24 hours later, Tunch comes back and said, okay, what will Cleveland do to get the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? My next call was to George Voinovich's office. He was the mayor at the time. And I'm trying to explain the importance of rock and roll and what it's going to bring to Cleveland. And I'm looking and it's just, his eyes are glazing over. He doesn't get it. And I finally say, ask your kids. He did. My call after that was to Dick Celeste, who was the governor at the time. I'm now in a position, I've got the top station in town, 
we carry a little bit of weight. Dick Celeste knew a little about rock and roll. He was a little more worldly in that regard. And Celeste was, do you think this would be a tourist attraction? Do you think that would bring people to Cleveland? And I said, yes. Then I also called Budweiser, our largest advertiser, and said, can you help back this? So we put together this, this group. When there was word that they were looking for a location, who could do it better to sell Cleveland on rock and roll than MMS? I mean, we were, we were on that from day one. It was just, it was probably um, one of the most successful and most well-coordinated campaigns ever that could be done in Cleveland radio. It was just one of those things. And when the USA Today newspaper came out, we were tipped off on that the night before that they were going to do a poll for the location for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When USA Today got involved, it's like, well, if all the young people in New York call for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we don't have a prayer. You know, you can fit five Clevelands, 10 Clevelands into New York. And uh, we came on and right at like, it was right before six o'clock and came on, hey, vote for Cleveland, vote for Cleveland. This is, hello? Hello, hotline. Quick, get me through the Jeff. Yeah, you're talking to him. Who's this? Uh, uh, me, Mr. Leonard. Where are you? I'm at home, Jeff. Why? I've been dialing votes for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to be right here in Cleveland. Well, hold on a second. It's time for me to make another call on this phone. Okay. Hold on. Sure. Looks like you got two phones there, or what? Yes, I'd like to cast my vote for Cleveland. Thank you. There. And USA Today loved it because they were getting 50 cents for every call. <laughs> they weren't stupid. Yes, operator, I'd like to charge this to a John Goldman. <laughs> oh, no! How many calls have you made so far? At least uh, about 200. I started about 5 o'clock this morning. Wow. <laughs> That's 100 bucks And you charge them all to Gorman? <laughs> of course. His jaw's wide shut. He ain't going to say nothing. Mr. <laughs> Leonard. <laughs> we just pounded it. And this is, you know, mid-80s when this is happening. And when you're number one, everybody listens to you. So the next, all the stations in Cleveland, they said, hey, Jeff and Flash are talking about Cleveland getting the Rock Hall. Let's do the same thing. So all the stations, then TV picked up on it. So that's why we got, what, 120, 130,000 calls. Cleveland beat everybody on, on the calls. In fact, the U USA did it a second time because they didn't believe that Cleveland could have gotten that, that many votes the first time. We embarrassed them. They had to pick Cleveland. There was no way out. But no city. No city. I mean, think about New York, L.A., Chicago, bigger populations. They didn't have that clout. But we did it. We did it. And we made it happen. The Rock Hall was really the first major project that also involved the public sector, the private sector, the music business. I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable partnership that a city like Cleveland would land the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame over New York, over Chicago, over Los Angeles. It was an amazing feat. The reason why I have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, more so than WMS, more so than the governor, the mayor, and the private sector and all that, are uh, the kids. Everybody that was listening, everybody that loved rock and roll in this town. It is the crowning uh, glory of the radio station. It really is. There is no doubt about that. That was, that was the, the diamond for, for sure. Cleveland was announced as the future home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. After years of delays and speculations, it eventually opened in the fall of 1995. The radio station ignited the movement that provided the answer to the question, where should we put the Rock and Roll Hall? As you heard, it was and is an amazing feat. A crowning glory, the diamond, as Jeff Kinsbach put it. While music fans were excitedly thinking about walking through the doors of the Rock Hall, Discontent was beginning to stir among the buzzard nuclear army. No bird of prey can fly forever. That's next on the final episode of Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard. Buzzard Power. WMMS. Cleveland. This season of Profiles is titled The Wrath of the Buzzard and is a Westlord Media production. 
I'm Vince Tornero, host, executive producer, and interviewer, along with my dedicated producer and co-writer, Kevin Skubak. He edited, arranged, sound designed, and mixed this series, as well as recorded what he calls needle drop knockoffs for this production. Big thanks to all of our guests. Ruby Cheeks, Ed Flash Ferentz, Bill BLF Bash Freeman, John Gorman, Jeff Kinsbach, Michael Shesky, Denny Sanders, Dia Stein, and Shelly Style. Special thanks to two guys, John Gorman and Mike Olszewski. They spent a lot of time with us and supplied much of the additional audio that you hear. Additional supporting audio also supplied by Denny Sanders, Joel Frensdorf, Art Volo, and Matt Wardlaw. Additional production audio from Universal Music Group and SoundSnap. Want to thank Alex Bevan for the use of the Buzzard song. That's our closing tune. If you like, there's a few more ways we'd recommend that you learn more about this great radio station. John Gorman's book, The Buzzard, and Michael Shesky's two books, Cleveland Radio Tales and Radio Days. If you can help it, do not buy it off Amazon. Support a great Cleveland publisher, Grain Company, by using the link in the show notes. This season's podcast cover art is an original creation by the artist David Helton. He's got some great merch and buzzard shirts for sale. We've got links to those stores in the show notes, too. Time for some disclaimers. We are not affiliated, associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with 100.7 WMMS, its ownership, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Any audio, individuals, product names, logos, brands, and other trademarks or images featured on or referred to within this podcast or its website are the property of the respective trademark and copyright holders. Appearance on this podcast does not imply endorsement. Final notes. If you haven't already, leave us a five-star rating and share this podcast with a friend or family member. For Westlore Media, I'm Vince Tornero. Thanks for listening. And now it's time for me to punch out, wash up, and head home. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.